0: Here's Neymar now, Cabani is there. And the saint has surely won it in the 89th minute. Kalu for Oh, what a strike! An absolute beauty for Florian Thobert and Kylian Mbappe
1: wraps it up.
2: Welcome to Paris, the city of lights, passion and the city of love. Today, we'll be talking about our very own love affairs with French football. And to kick off this special romantic edition of Le Beaujeu, we have another of our poems. This one is called Ligue 1, Je t'aime by David Crossan.
3: Ligue 1, je t'aime. Ligue 1, tu me manques. Sitting on my own at home, I have dreams of the velodrome, of nights filled with noise and wonder and great saves by Mondonda, of flicks and tricks from Neymar, of Icardi scoring never from far. Ligan, I miss you while you're gone. I want to see goals scored by Mbay Nyong and headed clearances by Hilton, the type of player Ligan is built on. Sometimes your teams are bien en place. Right now, I'd just love to watch Toulouse play ass. To see Aouar star for Lyon, so arty, another yellow card for Virati. To fill my days with football talk and see a huge leap by Ajork, the big man winning a header. In Monaco, they're crazy for Ben Yedder. The sights, the sounds, the wonderful grounds. The joy of le foot in Lexagon. A sprint and finish from Kylian. Mbappé is hard to rhyme, and this poem is almost out of time. I really don't want to be a bore. I don't want to pick a fight with Andy Delore. But to him, I prefer Aussie men. L'ingin, je
2: woo <laughs> Very good, David. These, this uh, confinement is doing you a lot of good, I can tell. But the funny thing is, I woke up this morning, had my breakfast, and I thought about your poem, and I thought you were going to say bien en place, and I was convinced the rhyme was going to be something about Daniel Vass, so I'm a bit disappointed.
3: Sorry about that, Matt. Maybe next time Daniel Vass will feature, that, if there is a next time, if I get invited back. That, yeah, I, th- I think
2: the poem has to become a regular feature of Le Bourgeois. That is, uh, that is David Crossan, league commentator and part-time poet, which we are uh, discovering now on Le Bourgeois, we also this week have have Andy Scott, so welcome back, Andy. It's been a while. How how's life in uh, Paris's 19th arrondissement?
0: Hi, Matt. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, it has been a long time since the. I think it's five weeks ago since the beginning of this um, of this confinement. So yeah, like everybody, I'm just doing my best to get through every day and enjoy the sunshine as much as possible without leaving my apartment, washing my hands about 80 times a day, and wishing uh, wishing like Dave that I could
2: be watching breast against Amiens. I'm delighted to say we've got a special guest as well, a debut appearance on Le Beaujo from Jeanne Lollichon. Now, Jeanne uh, works for the Ligue 1 club Amiens as the community manager. So welcome along, Jeanne. How are you doing?
1: Hello. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, I'm very happy to, to be talking to you and uh, yeah, looking forward to it.
2: First of all, how did your English get so good? And tell us a bit about, about how life has been at Amiens this season.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's important to to speak English. You know, when you work for a football club with all the players coming from different parts of the world. But yeah, I studied in England for three years, so I had the, the chance to to improve my English. Um, and yeah, it's it's going well with Amia. I mean, on on the field, not really, but um, hopefully, if the season carries on, we can we can stay in the in the first division. Um, and I'm really enjoying working for the club. You know, it's a it's a big family club kind of so. Yeah, I'm
2: enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a tough season for Amiens, but looking at a slightly sort of longer, or rather, a bigger picture, they've you know had an incredible few years. They've come up from the third tier, from 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 National. They had a good season in Ligue 1 last year. Luca Elsner's has come in, and uh, you know that they are one of the the smallest budgets in Ligue 1. It, it it's always going to be about survival, isn't it, for for Amiens? But I mean, there seems to be a good spirit in the club. You've you've said you've. You've enjoyed working there this season as a community manager. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience has been like and what what do you do exactly as a
1: community manager? Yeah, well, you know, as you said, it's um, the club that probably has um, the smallest budget in the league and, um, you know, we have those family values that I really enjoy. We're not a lot of people working at the club, so, you know, we all know each other. It's very friendly. It's not like a massive factory. You have, um, you know, the big clubs. Um, Yeah, so I... I'm in charge of the Twitter account, you know, Facebook, Instagram, basically all social media pages. Um, I write articles as well on the website, uh, you know, before the matches, after. And then I also take pictures at a training, um, a training, so kind of multitasking, but I'm enjoying it. You know, it's a lot of things I'm learning um, and they gave me that chance to experience it all. So really grateful and yeah, nice people around as well.
2: Yeah, good good atmosphere at the club. It's a very multinational side as well. You talk about, the importance of languages? I mean, have, have you got players who sort of, you know, only speak English as well as their native language, players who struggle in French and have, have you helped them a bit as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we have players as well from uh, Colombia, like Mendoza and Otero. they can't really speak French, um, but they're, they're taking French lessons. So if I play to them, but it's quite difficult, you know, to learn that French language. Um, but yeah, players like Opoku, for example, that he just speaks English. I mean, he just arrived in January. So understandable um, but they'll make the efforts you know like Calabresi for example he arrived in September and he's like basically fluent in French that's amazing um, but yeah most of them they just speak English or a bit of French.
3: Yeah I've got an idea for you Jeanne, because whenever I look at Luca Elsner on the touchline I'm put in mind of a, a fictional TV detective I think the poem's already proved I've got too much time on my hands but I could see him in that role because he's he just got this look about him he's He's taking everything in, but I'd expect him to crack the case in a quiet way, maybe with, a, I don't know, someone like Jean-Louis Gasset as his assistant. I could see him being up against a rival organization, though. His great nemesis in this fantasy world I have for him, where he's crime-solving on the league and scene, would be andre Vilas Villas-Boas. I think Vilas boas would also be a really good private detective. But, you know, I'd understand if you don't go with this idea, but there we are. That's, that's my contribution.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, Jeanne, you don't have to 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 comment on that. If you do want to start a Luke uh, Elsner detective series on, on Amiens Twitter um, account, then you know that 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 would be Yeah, better. I might give it a go. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get into the thick of the discussion because today it's uh it's about reminiscing. It's about talking about our, our love affair. Now for those just uh just tuning in, it's uh it's Le Bourgeois, um your favorite uh, official League um, podcast. We've been uh, doing our best during the confinement to to bring you some Some content, some entertainment. We've got plenty of interviews. Um, If you haven't heard them, we've uh, heard from the Americans, Alejandro Bedoya, Carlos Bocanegra. We've heard from um, some Brits and some uh, Irish players who who used to play in League. 1. Tony Cascarino, Steffi Mavadidi. We've heard from David Bellion as well. So do get onto our um, page, Le Bourgeois, on the different podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, and, uh, and Deezer. Do send in your questions to us. We love to hear from you league and podcast at gmail.com or using the hashtag le bourgeois but let's take a, a little trip down memory lane let's bring andy scott in because uh i know he's a he's a nostalgic one uh, andy who whose first love i think it's fair to say was scottish football his second love was probably um spanish football but you know much you know this this happens this happened to me i had a couple of girlfriends before meeting the you know the special one and Andy, you met the special one what a decade or so ago, didn't you in in 1? In what are your what are your first and your strongest Ligue 1 memories? Thanks, Matt. Yeah, well, you know it's
0: funny I was thinking about this because um, as as you said, like I, I wasn't for example, I wasn't a Francophile growing up, but I was thinking, you know, I was born in the year in which France won their first major trophy. The, uh, so the the European Championship in 1984. Uh, the European Cup final, the first European Cup final that I watched was the 1991 European Cup final between uh, Marseille and Red Star Belgrade. And uh, I would say the first World Cup that I was really able to watch a decent time of day and be old enough to take it all in was 98 in France, which France won um, and obviously Zidane was was the star of that, and he was probably my favourite player as a teenager. So even though I wasn't watching a lot of league when I was when I was really young, there were certainly elements of the French game which which I was taking in. And then by chance I ended up in France, um, and that was in 2008. Uh, moved here, and, and here we are, 12 years on, and now I'm a naturalised French citizen. So it's, it's it's very strange really to think about that. But the first game that I saw in the stadium in France in 2008 was uh, really quite a pivotal one, actually, because when I think about it now, because it was Paris Saint-Germain against Bordeaux, PSG's first home game of that season. And uh, they had, if you remember this, PSG had uh, just avoided relegation at the end of the previous campaign uh, under Paul Le Guin. And uh, that Bordeaux team with Laurent Blanc in charge went on to win the league in uh, in the season in question in 2008-09. And that match that I went to, I remember being really struck by by the atmosphere at the Parc des Princes, because uh, it wasn't like the atmosphere now. Let's be honest, the Parc des Princes has become much more sanitised, really, in terms of the atmosphere. Yes, there is a great atmosphere on a big European night. The ground is pretty much always full, but there was a real edge to the place uh, in in those days still. And um, the ground was was packed, despite the fact that PSG were not a brilliant team like they are now. And uh, the atmosphere really stayed with me, and I really enjoyed the game. It was a bit more um, rough and ready, a bit more maybe um, the PSG team at that time, a bit more rudimentary in terms of their tactics. But they won. They beat a very good Bordeaux team, and it, and it stuck with me. And I went to the Parc de Princes quite a lot that season. I enjoyed watching that PSG team with the likes of uh, Guillaume O'Harault up front, uh, the, um, the classic big man up front, and uh, players like Stéphane Sessignon, Claude McAuley, Ludovic Julie. And um, I really enjoyed that PSG team. They they just missed out on European qualification, but um, French football stuck with me after that. Yeah, and here we are, twelve years later, and uh, and you know, like like the rest of you, I can't get enough. Yeah, they of it. had
2: some good players, didn't they, in that in that PSG team? But uh, Laurent Blanc's Bordeaux side that went on to win the title. I mean, that was yeah. I was thinking yesterday about my strongest memories, and my favourite players. We'll go on to that later. But you know, Johan Gorkouf, and you know, in the the heart of that Bordeaux side that season was was phenomenal. Dave, I I think you're going to take us even further back aren't you? You've you've been in France for even longer than Andy. Yeah, I am
3: indeed. Uh, in fact, I started going to French football on family holidays. I'm from a Francophile family. My mum was a French teacher and when we travelled throughout France we used to go to games. So I can say that I've seen Sambreur play in Ligue 2 and I still love French football which I'm sure not many people can. But I think for me the the pivotal month was August 1997 where I went to watch Cascarino, who did a great interview with Matt the other week, and he scored for Nancy in a 4-2 defeat against Troyes away from home in a League 2 game. And a few days after that, uh, we went to watch Auxerre play Paris Saint-Germain. And it wasn't long after Auxerre had done the double, uh, sort of a couple of seasons on at the start of a season. And Givache and Male scored, and then PSG had this incredible comeback after Auxerre had a man sent off 1-3-2. The atmosphere was amazing. And being in that sleepy town, uh, which I know you know quite well, Matt, where it seems like everyone is in the stadium, or it did at that time when in the glory years of Oaxair, that the most exciting thing that had happened in Oaxair up until then was in the cinema when, in pre-digital era, um, the print started burning. And I think that was the most exciting thing that had happened outside of the football ground in Oaxair for probably about 30 years. But the match was brilliant. I was enthralled to the stories about Cantona's time there, um, Guy Roo, um the stronger French influence on French football at that time and before that already and we mentioned this when we talked about the, the British and Irish players while the English clubs were banned from Europe you had to have a team to follow and that team had to be Marseille with Waddle in their team and playing exciting football uh, at the end of the 80s start of the 90s I was really always making sure that I was up to watch Marseille's European matches on British TV I'll bring Jean in in just a sec. Just a quick Auxerre memory as well because I used to go
2: and watch Arsenal a lot when I was younger and Auxerre came to Highbury again early 90s and I remember Corrinston Martins. I, I just remember seeing this player who was just different to all the players that we saw in the Premier League who just had time on the ball and, and he ran that game and I remember Martin Keown talking afterwards saying that he'd never he'd ne- I think Keown was playing midfield and was meant to be marking him and he'd never, he'd never played against the player that good technically and that with that sort of vision so he's not necessarily a famous even though he was a French international but uh, anyway that, that was one of my early memories. Jeanne let, let's bring you in and now you're not, you're not quite as, as old as, as us I don't think so, so your memories <laughs> will probably be more recent but what, 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 how were you kind of um, taken by French football initially?
1: Well obviously I grew up in, I was born in and I grew up in France in Nantes um, so Nantes was my first club you know I loved and I I still do. Um I don't really remember sadly going to the stadium for the first time uh but it was definitely a, a non game. Um but it is I mean there is one particular match that really had a massive impact on me and it was um when non played against Sedan in the Ligue 2 in 2013, April. Um, <clears throat> it was the game to to win to be promoted back to the to the Ligue 1 uh you know Nantes is a club that suffered a lot in the recent years they went down for the first time in their history in 2005 and and um being able to watch that moment live you know the atmosphere at La Bourgeois um such a good stadium with a lot of history um and and now went back to the top division and that was something that impacted me and still does right now you know with emotions and
2: Chan, I, I, in- I sorry, I, I I always wonder what it's like for Saint-Etienne fans and, and some some extent Nantes fans <laughs> as well, who because Saint-Etienne, you the it's not just the young people, it's people who are 40 and you know, 40 odd years old, 50 years old, who've never actually seen Saint-Etienne winning the league, but they just hear about this amazing football club. Now Nantes won won eight league titles, but they didn't just win eight league yeah. titles, they kind of they they're renowned for, for their own sort of innovative style of football that was brought in. Um, by all the wonderful coaches, and uh, enhanced by Jean Claude Suodo in the um, in the '90s and Raynal Denowitz. What what's it like as a youngster, sort of growing up in Nantes and then being a second division club? Do you get a bit fed up with the older people going, you know, oh they, we we were so amazing before?
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I I didn't I didn't get the chance to to live that, you know, to see to see Nantes winning winning the league, you know, playing Juventus in the Champions League semi finals. So. I guess we have to move on from that. But what saddens me is, you know, when people from abroad um, don't really know the history of some clubs, you know, like Nantes, such a big club in, in, in French football. And and um, I wish people could know a bit more about the history. It's sad that we, <laughs> we're not the club we used to be. Um, and I didn't obviously get a chance to experience it. But you mentioned um, Suodo, for example, and I had the chance to meet him a few times. You know, he's that guy. When you talk about, when you talk with him about football, he's just, Unreal. You can carry on for hours to talk about tactics and everything and and um he's such a wonderful person that brought a lot to football and you know the the Jewel Nantes, very famous. I think Barcelona got that um from Nantes. <laughs> That's not too arrogant. Um but yeah, I mean I never seen um the old Nantes. I wish we could go back to, to winning winning ways and and maybe go win the the league again. Well
2: they're doing well. I mean, you know, compared to those those second division days. I mean you know they've got a long way to go to to start competing for for titles again, but it's been great to see La Bourgeois kind of full and and the atmosphere coming back. And I have to say I'm quite jealous of you, Jean, because I've never met Jean Claude Swodo, and I know he doesn't do much much media. I've read like the odd interview. Um, there was an amazing interview in France Football magazine. He just seems like such a, an an incredible guy. I'm just going to bring in a few um, a few of our listeners who've been um, busy on Twitter writing in with their best memories. So we've had um, a message in from Cosimo Bartoloni on Twitter. He said, I'm Italian. I fell in love with Marseille back in 2001 when my parents bought me an OM shirt. I'm now a, a Marseille forever. Uh, thank you, Cosimo, for, for the lovely photo you sent as well. Jeremy Smith, um, the poor chap, said he fell in love with FC Mets. He said, my mum is from Mets, so I've just been stuck with them. Um, and I still haven't got over losing the 98 league title. And uh, Jeremy points out they had a really good side. Letizis, Song, Dush. Boffin, Merieux, and Robert Pires. That was a wonderful team. They got pipped on the last day of the season by Lens. Uh, Christopher Dumas um, at Arche Football. I hope I said that right. Archer. No, Ar, sorry, Ardèche Football. My goodness. At Ardèche Football on Twitter. He fell in love with As because his grandmother used to read him the sports pages that her cousins sent over back in the day. Those were the days when Dominic Rocheteau was running down the wing for Saint Etienne. So that's a thank you, Christopher. Lovely story. Um another Santetin fan from Vilnius in Lithuania has written in it's uh, Karolis Dudenas who says he fell in love with Santetin in 2006 the team of Finduno Jano Kamara and then later Ilan Gomez Payet, Matuidi. um a strange team he says for a, for a Lithuanian to support but something just clicked and I've watched them um ever since the stadium the fans and history are fantastic George Rodriguez from the USA loves OL. Remembers following them to the 2010 Champions League semi-finals, and uh, has enjoyed researching them and finding out about Lyon's great history and how they uh, produce so many great young players. Arman Khan, one of our one of our regulars on uh, Le Bourgeois, great to hear from you, Arman. He says that uh, Monaco is his love and his best memory is the 2016-17 season when we won the title. He remembers fondly the games against Tottenham and Manchester City in the Champions League. And uh, his all-time favourite match came in 2017-18 when Monaco beat Lyon, thanks to that late goal from Ronnie Lopez. Thank you ever so much for all your feedback. We'll have a few more uh, um, messages from listeners coming up on Le Bourgeois. But we're going to move on to uh, to players' favourite players, players who have really uh, marked us during our time over here um, in Liga. And um, we'll start with uh, with Dave Crossan.
3: Yeah, I mean. I- Andy's already talked about going to his first game after moving here and I came over to Paris in the summer of 2000 and I was going to start work on the Monday but I arrived on the Friday and on the Sunday Paris Saint-Germain were at home to Bastia and they'd been spending big that summer and Elkir had come in they had players like Dalmat and Luxin. but the player who caught my eye who I knew nothing about before was Laurent Robert and every week I went in those opening weeks of the season. He'd score a blinder. He scored 15 goals in 32 games that year. Uh, My family came over in that October. I took them to watch PSG wallop Rosenberg 7-2. And as Andy said, the atmosphere was like atmospheres that I remembered from five years previously in England that I felt had already been lost by that stage. And I just found it so exciting. It was exhilarating. The way the, the Parc de France retains the noise in that concrete bowl the style of football they were playing, at least for the first three or four months of that season. But then things started to fall apart under Philippe Bergeroux. Uh, they still had some decent European results. But Laurent Robert, that first year, absolutely phenomenal in terms of the the consistent brilliance and scoring wonder goals, picking the ball up on halfway, running at defenders, putting it in the top corner. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, just a shame he he went to Newcastle, Dave, isn't it, really? <laughs> and he has got...
2: Andy Scott, who went from watching Dundee United to to watching um, these exceptional teams in in Ligue 1. and what what player memories do you have, Andy? Well, I'm, I'm just to come back to what
0: I was saying before, I mean uh, that that first game that I went to and Guillaume Moreau, I think if my memory's not uh, tricking me, he scored the winning goal in that first game I went to against Bordeaux. So Guillaume Moirot was. For me was, was was fantastic to watch. I think he scored seventeen goals in that first season. I think uh, I've got the statistics in front of me. Andre Pierre Gignac and Karim Benzema were the only players who scored more goals than him that season in league. And of course Benzema went to Real Madrid at the end of that season. But um Oh had just been playing for La Havre in the second division the previous year, scored lots of goals, did brilliantly in that season and, and I really enjoyed watching him. I think if if you move on from from that season, then over the last decade obviously players like uh, Eden Hazard at Lille um, was was brilliant to watch, and then the, the the Qatar generation at PSG have brought us so many great players as well. But you know, there's something about that that PSG team of the late um, the late part of the previous decade, the noughties, that uh, kind of sticks with me because it wasn't quite as glamorous as it is now. And um, yeah, I just really enjoyed watching that team, and uh, ORO was was the was the big man up front. And
2: uh, as as producer Ian will tell you. I love uh, I love a big man up front. That's that's what I was going to say. Is that the the Scot in you, the 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 need for this big target man? Because yeah. I know as well that Sheikh Diabate is 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 one of your favourites, the the giant Malian as you call him uh, every yeah. opportunity.
0: <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, the, uh, you're probably right about that because when I was uh, a, a young a youngster growing up in uh, in Dundee, Duncan Ferguson was one of my favourite players uh, in in my team. He's certainly a, a big man up front, and Sheikh Diabate. Uh, is is a cult hero really uh, for anybody who's followed league Gar in the last decade? Uh, maybe not the most prolific goalscorer, but but a, a slightly awkward-looking customer and and a pretty handy player as well. And he was he was a really good player in that Bordeaux team that won the French Cup. Really unheralded Bordeaux team that won the French Cup in what was it 2013 in a brilliant final against uh, Evian. I remember being there with David Crossan that night, and I think it was the same day in which Monaco had announced the double signings of Radamel Falcao and James Rodriguez. So quite a, a significant day, really, in recent French football history. But for me, it will be best remembered for uh, the heroics of Sheikh
2: Diabate. He's a great man as well. Very, very, um, very generous, very funny, very down-to-earth. And uh, yeah, we're all we're all big Sheikh Diabate fans. But Jeanne, you know, back in the day, Nantes, Nantes they didn't need any big target men to lump it up to. They'd just play total football, didn't, wouldn't they? Or, or the joel Nantes? Any any players um, from your era? I mean, it could even be a, a Ligue 2. Player or any other marked your your childhood?
1: Um, From not, I'd say there are two players that, um, I mean, three, so that may be a bit much, but um, uh, I remember growing up and looking at a goalkeeper uh, that was Mikael Landreau. Uh, You know, he started at the academy and now he's, I guess, a fan favorite. Everyone really loved him. Like, if he goes to not again, he's probably going to get a massive crowd around him. He's he's a legend, Um, and everybody remembers um, when he saved that penalty against Ronaldinho against PSG in 2002. Um, I was like four, three years old and I even saw the video afterwards because such a magical moment. Um, and he stayed at the club for more than 10 years. Uh, and then I guess Filip uh, Djordjevic, um, I don't know if you remember him, he then went to Italy. Uh, he was such a key player uh, when Nantes got promoted back to the Liga. He scored so many goals and he was very important for us and I was very sad when he left and um also you mentioned him but Bedoya he was uh he was my favorite player um um before he left for, for the US again um yeah those three players really impacted me I guess uh, wearing a, a non-shirt
2: well thanks for that Jeanne you should have come on last week when we had Alejandro Bedoya on the pod we were talking about how um how he, he was very popular among the non-fans. As far as my favourite sort of uh, players are concerned, I'd, I'd go back to the 2003-04 season. That was the, the first season that I was regularly going to the stadiums and, and reporting on matches. I was very lucky because I was working for the UEFA website on the European games, and that was the season that Monaco went to the Champions League final and Marseille to the uh, uh, UEFA Cup final. Monaco um, were just unbelievable. I can remember them putting eight goals past Deportivo La Coruña, knocking out Chelsea, knocking out Real Madrid. Um, just a, a sensational team that Didier Deschamps had. And I think my favourite player from that team, like a lot of Monaco fans, my, my favourite player was Ludovic Julie, because he was just unbelievable. He was an unbelievable footballer, but also so charismatic and uh, just the, the captain of that side that just got them, got them going. He had this incredible attitude, so direct on the pitch and just, uh, really funny off the pitch, actually, his, uh, his press conferences alongside Deschamps, Deschamps very much the, the straight man and, and Julie making all the jokes. And it was it was great fun, phenomenal football, a phenomenal team. Marseille was different. They didn't perhaps have as good a team as Monaco, but those games at the Velodrome were unbelievable. Didier Drogba that season was just, you know, an absolute, uh, just already a world-class striker. And, and when he moved to Chelsea, had a lot of English fans saying oh this guy's clumsy he's never going to make it in the Premier League and what have you and I said listen guys just just give him a little bit of time he's absolutely phenomenal and I do remember a few of those games um, Liverpool and Inter and uh, Newcastle I think was that was the semi-final I remember sitting next to Gavin Peacock who was working for Radio 5 Live and um, when the Marseille fans were chanting just the, the the noise the din in that stadium was unbelievable I remember him looking at me with this kind of like astonished look saying I've never experienced anything like it now of course Gavin uh, had played for Chelsea and, uh, and Newcastle and the like but but the velodrome um, that day was 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 incredible and unfortunately Dave Didier, Didier Drogba proved too much for Newcastle
3: yeah sadly I wasn't at that return leg I'd been to the game at St James's Park for work where Woodgate totally nullified Drogba and it finished nil, nil but Drogba was sensational in that return game and When I speak to Newcastle fans who were there, and they were well-traveled in Europe around that time because Newcastle had a very good team, and they always single out the velodrome as the noisiest place that they went to, the best atmosphere. And I absolutely love the velodrome. I loved it in that incarnation of the velodrome. I think now, after its Euro 2016 redevelopment, it's the most architecturally stunning stadium in France. I love its location, a half-an-hour walk from the Plage de Prado. I like the fact that you can walk there from the station. I like it. it's in a city centre. It's got good transport links and that everyone in the city knows about the club. Everyone you meet will know what's going on because it acts as something which coheres the whole city where there's only one big club in the city and OM is the biggest representation of the city, both within the city and outside.
2: Well, Dave, i still very, you know, have very fond memories of our pre-match pizza routine and uh, or ritual—a uh, little beer, a little pizza, and then, like you say, a walk along the um, the, the Prado up towards the uh, the Stad Velodrome. And yeah, it's just anybody who likes football—you've got to experience a game at the Stad Velodrome. We talked about Drogba, but they had had a lot of good players, and uh, Kamel Merriam at the time was, you know, one of those players who, unfortunately for him, got tagged the next Zinedine Zidane, and he he made his debut for France and looked absolutely superb, and he was. He was a playmaker who really thrived in that environment at at the Velodrome. There was a young kid called Mattia Flamini who was uh, who was coming through and um, was just yeah the player that we went you know we we got to know at Arsenal. Just so much energy, so much aggression, and um, yeah, brilliant memories. Brilliant memories. And you know, I could only really um, you know want to go to 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 work more on Ligue One to stay in France. And uh, you know, after experiencing what I spe- experienced that year now. Some other listeners have got in touch. Um, you can get in touch with, uh, with us on the email here at Le Bourgeois, Ligue Podcast at gmail.com or on the Twitter, hashtag Le Bourgeois. Rich Allen um, has got in touch on Twitter um, with regards to his favourite memories and favourite players. He's sent a gif of Thomas Kubek sprinting after the shootout win for Rennes in the Coupe de France final and also a picture of Kim Kallstrom, obviously a, a former favourite at, at, at Rennes as well. Um, We've got Ali News Nigeria on Twitter who's written in saying, I've got so many memories to choose from. The rising of Mbappe and Monaco winning the league that season. John Utaka scoring the goal that brought Montpellier the league title um, back in 2012. Vincent Enyama's Wonder Seasons. Can we get a compilation video? We'll we'll, we'll ask our friends at the the LFP if they can sort out a compilation of uh, Vincent Enyama. Fantastic, uh, fantastic goalkeeper. And, uh, and a real personality. Listen, we've got a question which I find quite interesting here from uh, a U.S. fan, Mike Forrest. So Mike has written in. He says, I enjoy listening to your podcast here in the U.S., but I blush to confess I've never actually seen a on game on TV. I could use a team to support. Maybe this could be a nice quarantine topic for neophytes to learn about the social, historical, and uh, political background to the clubs. Let's find a suitable club for Mike Forrest to support everybody. He describes himself as an intellectual who would never support a big money club. He's a bit of a leftist. He likes some tradition. A few other clubs that he follows. Napoli, because of his grandfather, who came from there, and because of Maradona. Tottenham, because of Ozzy Ardiles. St. Pauli, because I love everything about them. So, who should Mike Forrest's match be in uh, in France? What are we thinking, Andy? You're, you're you're turning away, so that probably means you don't want to answer <laughs> this. So I'm I'm, I'm going to come to you. Uh,
0: yeah, well, do you know the, the, re- the reason I was turning away was because I was I was just um, looking something up, and because the, the thing is, the club that comes into my mind when somebody says who should you support, and this is partly because of where I am but it's not a club who are in Ligue 1, it's Red Star. Now, that's a club who, in the Paris region, have a tremendous history and, and are a smaller club. Uh, and it's a great place to go for a, a game of football on a Friday night in the third division, if that's what you're into. But in terms of Ligue 1, I think the, the club... that I would say there are three clubs who who, who come to mind for me. Um, one of them is Saint-Étienne, because... They have such a wonderful history and a game at the stade of La Guixada on a big night is something to behold. And what you were saying about Marseille, it applies to Saint-Étienne in the same way. Everything apart from the half-hour walk taking you to the beach, because in Saint-Étienne there is no beach, sadly. But um, it is a great place to watch a game of football. And, um, of course, their club have done very well in recent seasons too. Uh, the other two teams that, that come to mind for me are Monaco, because Monaco is, a, is such a fabulous place to visit. And such an unusual place to visit as well for a game of football, and they've they've had uh, some great teams down the years. And the other one would be Lyon, because Lyon for me is uh, is probably my favourite French city. And uh, again, a big night, a big European night at the uh, Groupama Stadium can be fantastic. Albeit uh, the Groupama Stadium is is a very very long way from the centre of Lyon, and that does take something away from the experience. But the, these are the three for me. I think when you when you try to pick a team, you have to you want a team that's doing well now. You want a team, uh, you want to go to a place with a great atmosphere. But I think, as much as anything else, you want history, you want tradition. And uh, that's something that these three clubs that I mentioned uh, can
2: all provide. But Andy, Mike is 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 left wing politically. You want to send him to the tax haven that is that is Monaco. So it's a curious choice. Well, that,
0: but that's but that's why that's one of the reasons why I mentioned Red Star because Red Star are a club with uh, with a, with a left wing element to their support.
2: But sadly, they're a long way from being in Ligue One at the moment. Okay, well, Mike, Mike can decide. Jeanne, have you got a, a suggestion for our American friend?
1: Yeah, I, I suggest Amiens, Not just because I work for them, but. Um... It's a club with, you know, not um, a lot of money. It's not the richest club in the in the league, but they still try to to be um, to put out good performance on the pitch. And and you know the history, you know, um, being promoted to the Ligue 2 and then promoted to the Liga, you know, back to back. That's that's amazing. And um, and yeah, it's a, as I said, it's a family club. You know, the, the the fans they all know each other. The stadium is not that big. It's got like twelve thousand. It's probably one of the smallest or the smallest in the league. Um, and, um, you know, they, they don't have the the star players, but I think they still play good football. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a good club to, to support with a lot of history within the city, I guess.
3: As for my perspective, Matt, I'm, Brittany is one of the hotbeds of football in France. And so Mike might want to consider a Breton team, maybe Brest, except it's a bit windy over there for my tastes. Rennes, a superior option, but they've won a trophy too recently for me. So I'm going to suggest a club in the south of France, um, on the Côte d'Azur, because Nice have not won trophies for decades, but they are going to start winning trophies again soon, I think. Maybe you won't like the moneyed element after the Ineos takeover, but if he does start travelling to France regularly, he's going to see exciting football, get some sunshine, and most importantly, I know Andy and myself have very extensive conversations about what it's like getting to stadiums around France. You can now get to the Alliance Riviera on the tram. So that was the clinching aspect for me. Well, you guys
2: have all assumed that I'm going to go for Marseille, but I'm not. So I am going to go for, you know, Mike wants a sort of nice socialist, working class football club. For me, um, you know, Marseille is, is a hotbed. The atmosphere is incredible, but there are two clubs um, where the values are very much um, in line with, with their working class populations, two industrial cities, um, Saint Etienne, of course, atmosphere unbelievable. But I, I want to talk about Lens because Lens um, have arguably the most loyal, passionate support um, in France. The noise at the Stade Felix Bollard is, is phenomenal. And the, the first experience I had of Lens. I was not very good at French at the time, and I was traveling to Lens by train to go and watch Arsenal. And I think it was, it was in 98, it was when Lance and Arsenal had won the league, and I think it was Arsenal's first Champions League match. It was very exciting. Um, and, I, and I went to, the, to get my ticket, and I said, can I have a ticket to, you know, I'd done French at school, so I thought I knew I had to say Lens, and I said, Lens. And they sold me a ticket to a town called Lens, L-A-O-N. And I thought this is not good. I'm not. I'm not going to get to the football match anyway. I managed to change my ticket. I got there. Um, Arsenal took the lead, and then the last second, um, Arsenal conceded from a corner. It was a messy goal. Lance equalised, one-one. And that, you know, I was with the Arsenal fans, and everyone was pretty gutted. You know, you can see the last minute equaliser like that. And as it is on away trips, you kind of hate your opponents. And there was a lot of kind of insults going on to the Lance fans above uh, above us. And then as the players sort of came around and, and got applauded by by the whole of the stad, Felix Bollard, um, the Lons fans, must have been 30-odd thousand of them, all in unison started chanting Arsenal. And it was really weird because all the Arsenal fans was like, you know, they're all swearing at them, going, oh, you, you know, you French this and that. And then, and then suddenly they were like, hang on, they're chanting Arsenal. And then all the Arsenal fans started applauding them. And I just thought, wow, this is really cool. And it was just like a mutual respect thing. And it was... I'd never seen anything like it. It was just weird. And, you know, having experienced the Lens atmosphere, I'm glad I, I made it to the north um, and I didn't end up in long wherever Long is. Jeanne, do you know where long is?
1: I, I don't actually know, but I've heard of it before.
2: L-A-O-N, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased that I didn't end up there, but <laughs> we, we were going to do a section on on stadiums, but I think we've sort of, we've covered it really, haven't we, Velodrome, we've, we've talked about the Stad Felix-Bollet. Is there, is, is, does anyone want to bring in, a stadium, perhaps that we haven't mentioned, that is that is quite special.
3: Yeah, I do I think, actually. I think, Unless Andy wants to go first, no,
2: no. I was, I was sorry,
0: Dave. I was just going to say that uh, maybe one thing I neglected to say before, and I think you touched on it um about Wren, is that actually when Razone Park is full on a, on a big night, again, it's another place which is uh, a fabulous atmosphere, and is helped, of course, by the culinary offers around the ground uh, when you when you're arriving at Razone Park. A lovely walk from the centre. Get yourself a galette so and enjoy the game. So that's that's definitely something that warrants a mention. Well,
3: I thought they had the best pre-match tunes that they're really into their music in Rennes. They've got a very good thriving indie music scene and they play a lot of British indie, which is very much where my tastes lie. But I commentated a, a Nice French cup game earlier this year against Lyon and their in-stadium DJ outdid even the, the person at Roseon Park. So another good reason Mike to choose Nice, I'd say, um, I really like La Menu. Uh, it's going to be redeveloped. At the moment, it's still got that slightly old-school atmosphere with the the fans standing where they make all the noise, all of the Strasbourg Ultras. The, the noise is incredible. It's got a good location. They're very friendly people in Alsace. When you get to know them, French people find them a bit cold because they're a bit different to the people elsewhere in France it's not like being in Marseille but I, I love the Strasbourgeois and I love the city and it's a great club great stadium
1: yeah I, I can I say something about the
3: go for it go
2: for it <laughs>
1: yeah about the the menoir. I completely agree with it. I've never actually been I've never had the chance to, to go to, to Strasbourg and, and watch a match but you know this season I've had the I mean I've been to a few stadiums you know with, with Amiens uh, covering them but I've also always had that um, that chat with my 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 bosses at the club and even journalists coming in uh, to commentate you know the the Amiens games and they always told me you know you have to go to Strasbourg because the amazing is the, the the atmosphere is very is just amazing and and when you play in that stadium you feel like you're suffocating because the the support is massive and you know I don't know if it's the 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 design of the stadium that makes it very very loud or something, but apparently it's uh, impressive and it's a very underrated stadium and atmosphere in France, I feel. Well, I think guess.
2: it's the design, I think it's the beer as well that is consumed free <laughs> match, which always, which, which always helps. And you talked about the music, Dave. That it, when Strasbourg come out, and I haven't found the answer to this, but they, why, you know, why this is, they come out to the, to the English song uh, Football's Coming Home, I think. Yeah, that, that's it. And I've never quite worked out why.
3: Uh, it's a bit of an anthem worldwide, isn't it? They're quite yeah. close to the German border, and the Germans adopted it. So why not? Why not? I, I, I really like the the stadium announcer in Strasbourg as well. He must have the deepest voice of all of the stadium announcers in France. He, yeah. I think he might be called Barry Blanc.
2: Barry Blanc, nice one, nice one. We're gonna we're gonna um, finish with 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 coaching memories. So just to give you all um, a couple of minutes, just to, to try to think of your best or favourite. Um, memories of coaches. We'll bring in our, our Deja who section, our, our interactive segment where you can write in if you know the answer, if you know the person that we are talking about. Last week's uh, Deja who, the clue was I was born in the south of France, but I had to go to Lens in the far north to make my league on debut. I've played for Nice and Rennes. I've had two spells at Marseille, winning the Coupe de la Ligue twice, and I am now making an impact in the MLS. It is, of course, Rod. Fanny, congratulations to Sam Klebert in uh, San Louis, Missouri. And um, Adam Cyrilnik, who for the umpteenth time in a row has got the, the right answer. But Adam, you have to share the, um, the accolade with Sam Klebert in San Louis this time. Now, tough one this week from our producer, Ian Holyman, um, who's been uh, writing in on the chat saying, we need to be talking about Le Chaudron. Maybe we didn't give enough love to... St Etienne Stadium but let's go with this week's Deja Vu I'd played in the Netherlands Spain and England before I arrived in France in 2007 I left the Velodrome just as Didier Deschamps arrived I finished my career as a black cat in England if you think you know the answer to this Deja Vu send in your um, responses to league1podcast at gmail.com or you can uh, get us on Twitter using the hashtag l one Now we're going to talk about our, our favourite memories of, of coaches. And uh, I'm going to start with the Scots because the Scots are very famous for their, for their coaching calibre. Um, Andy, we haven't had too many Scottish coaches over here. Although, when I was doing a piece yeah. on the history of Saint-Étienne, they did have a very famous and successful Scottish coach in the 30s, I think. But um, you probably don't remember him. So, Andy Scott, coaching memories. Uh, are you are you talking about? Is, was it Mr
0: Duckworth? Was that the yes! name of the, the Saint Etienne wow. coach? But but was he not was he not an Englishman? I think he was an Englishman. Anyway, we'll 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 skate over that. Um, and uh, I, I mean, to be honest, it's a Saint Etienne coach that I wanted to mention because I think in the in the in the in the dozen years or so that I've been living in France, really the the man who stands out is is probably Christophe Galtier because. When I said before that that Saint Etienne um, are, are a club that um, that our listener in the US could get behind, one of the reasons for that is that Christophe Galtier revived them as a club because they were very much a, a faded force, and he has uh, he, he turned them into a team to be reckoned with again. And of course, he's gone on to he was eight years in charge there, and he's gone on to do a great job at Lille. I think it's very hard to look past him. I know that the the revered magazine France Football here uh, named Christophe Galtier. A few months ago, as the coach of the decade, and I don't think anybody could complain with that. And uh, we've seen some great names come to France from abroad, Carlo Ancelotti, um, several other ones. Obviously, Andre Villas-Boas in charge at Marseille now. But really, I think Christophe Caltier is is the man
2: who who sticks with me. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I'm going to come in because I'm itching to get in um, on the act here. Um, I'm going to go with with Giroud. We talked about Auxerre and just what an incredible, unique football club they were. And I was lucky to have a, a few run-ins with with Giroud. The first time I went to see him was um, an interview for the UEFA website. I think it was for his 500th or his, no, he must have done many more than 500, perhaps his 1,000th game in, in charge of Auxerre. And he was brilliant. And I, 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 again, I wasn't great at French at the time. And I just remember I'd asked him like how long he intends to go on. And he said, as long as I have La Pêche. Uh, que j'ai la pêche. Uh, je continue, and I I did. I thought he meant. You know, I thought he was talking about peaches because la pêche for me it meant peach. So I was like, oh really? That's so peaches is, is is the key. And we had a really kind of bizarre exchange at that moment. And then later on, um, Jean-Alain Boomsong was rumored to have signed a pre-contract with Rangers, and I, I was working a bit with uh, the Sunday Times in Scotland. So I thought, well, I'll get in contact. And, you know, Giroud literally was the football club. He ran everything. I don't think at the time they even had a press officer. He he would decide, you know, how long the grass should be on the training pitches. He would decide um, what the players would be allowed to eat. He famously kept a, a close eye on their um, cars and the 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 mileometers. He would check how many, you know, kilometers they, they, they'd they done to make sure they hadn't been to the Paris and back. And I called him and said, listen, I'm, I've heard a." About John Allen Boomsong that he might be leaving I'd be keen to do an interview with him he said yeah yeah no problem come um I'll I'll set that up for you you can meet John Allen after training tomorrow so I I went down there and um it was really awkward because Boomsong didn't know about this and I think Giroud was pretty pretty miffed with John Allen Boomsong so he basically said I'm not going to protect him from the media he's basically signing a contract behind my back um and and Boom Song said, "Ah, oh, I'm really sorry. I can't talk to you, Matthew. Um, it's a bit awkward. You'll have to come back in a few weeks." And Giroud said, "No, no, no. This guy, Jean Jean-Alain, this guy has come from Scotland to see you. You go in the changing room and you talk to him. And it was hilarious. It was like seeing this father telling off a little boy. And um, after a you know an awkward question or two, Jean-Alain relaxed a bit, and we got uh, got a really good interview out of him. So Giroud was just yeah uh, a, a rule unto him, himself and." Incredible charisma, incredible um, person. So um, that's my memory. Giroud will never be replaced. Unique and uh, yeah, what? How many years did he do at Auxerre? Anyone know? Forty-five or something? Unbelievable. And he's looking pensively.
0: Uh, it's is a lot a lot of years. i the top of my head. <laughs> I, I have to. I don't know. But yeah, forty odd years is incredible, isn't it? It's just mind
2: blowing. David Crossen, how'd you follow up? How'd you follow up on that?
3: By choosing Didier Deschamps. That I was fortunate enough to be with you at those Monaco European Games in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, and I've got a very clear memory of being in the the tiny press conference room at Stade Louis II after the eight three against Deportivo La Coruña, and I found Deschamps very engaging to listen to at that time. But uh, he finished his press conference, waited for the players, and as he was leaving, just said, "Place aux artistes," I'll give it over to the artists now, and I just I really liked him then, even more so when he came to Marseille and won the title in his first season, that was their first league and title in 18 years. After that, things a bit harder for him at Marseille. You could see he was really unhappy in that last season, the 2011-2012 campaign. He looked very different. He'd put on weight. He'd lost that enthusiasm. And to see that rekindled with France, culminating, or the story's far from over, but with the winning the world title in 2018 was great to see. And, uh, on a personal level, I was with the French team every day throughout Euro 2016, and he, he was great to deal with. Uh, the semi-final took place in Marseille, and I was at the velodrome, and I suddenly had all these people coming up to me saying, yeah, you are quite sunburnt, aren't you? I said, yeah, maybe a little bit. I've been down to the, the Plage de Prado for a little walk before coming here. So why are you mentioning this? Said, oh, because we get the the feed inside the stadium and we saw you talking to Didier Deschamps earlier and he was saying, yeah, look, be careful. Your nose is starting to peel. <laughs> so he, and he said to me, you know, after Monday, I don't really care if you get sunburnt, but at the moment you're part of our adventure and I want you to be okay. I thought, <laughs> thanks Didier. And I made sure I bought more sun cream for my next trip to the, to the beach the next day.
2: Fantastic. So Didier was, wor- you know, all these things you had to worry about, but Dave's nose remained High up on his on, on, on his list of concerns, it's interesting that two thousand and four final. I remember it was being billed as well by the UK press, crazily, um, as the the game to see who would become Chelsea manager. Would it be Porto? Would it be Jose Mourinho? If Porto won, would it be Didier Deschamps? If 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 Monaco won, and I remember Oliver Holt um, standing up and asking that question to Didier Deschamps, saying, "Do you see this Champions League final as a sort of contest to see who become Chelsea manager?" It was quite um, cringe worthy. And um Didier Deschamps obviously avoided answering that that question properly. What would have happened, Dave, though, if Monaco had won that Champions
3: League and Didier had gone to Chelsea? We'd never have heard about Jose Mourinho. I don't know. Let's write that <laughs> alternative history. I'm sure Didier Deschamps would have done really well at Chelsea. Jeanne,
2: do you have you've, you've already name checked Jean-Claude Swodo as a good mate of yours. Um, <laughs> do you have any um any other coaching, or, or you could talk about Jean-Claude Swodo again? Any, any sort of coaching memories, people who've really uh, impressed you or uh, or any good stories?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a coach that stayed for a long time in, in France, um, but I'll go for with Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I, I have to admit that I was a big fan of him, you know, when he was at Chelsea before. Um, but when he went to Paris, I mean, he kind of, you know, I don't know if revolutionized the, the club, if that makes sense. Um I mean, PSG was already a, a big club, you know, professional, but I guess he changed a lot of things, you know, it, thanks to him. I mean, they won the their the league title like it was 15 or, I don't know, 16, 17 years after the last uh, title they won, PSG. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually read his book, uh, Quiet Leadership, where he talks about how the situ- situation was at PSG, you know, with the players. He kind of brought new methods, um, all that um, story was, you know, bringing the restaurant to the training ground, making it more professional with the players, bringing Thiago Mota, um, Alex. Um, I really admire that. I I loved him, obviously, as a coach before and had the chance to meet him as well. Really nice person, uh, funny as well. So I go with it for him, yeah.
2: That's interesting. And um, I wonder, actually, I don't think the Qatari bosses would ever say this, but I wonder if it's one of the biggest regrets um, that they have in their era, that they that that they didn't keep Carlo Ancelotti, and I know it was it was Carlo who who walked away, I think, unhappy at the pressure that he was being, you know, ultimatums that supposedly were were being handed out. But given the way that PSG, you know, I don't know they played great football under Laurent Blanc, they won a lot under Una Emery as well. But yeah, I just wonder what would have happened if Carlo Ancelotti had been given four or five years, maybe that Champions League uh, wouldn't be be quite so elusive, but fascinating stuff Jan I, I just before we go I want to ask you about Luca Elsner because he's he was an unknown when well from from our point of view when he came in um to Amiens um he's known a little bit within French footballing circles um I haven't done my homework here but did he did, did he play at Nice or no he grew up he, he grew, grew up at Nice didn't he
1: yeah he grew up there and his father played for Nice because his, his father, father was a, yeah. a, a professional player as well um but yeah he's a I mean, personally, I think he's a good manager. Obviously, he's been quite unlucky with Amiens this season. I mean, Amiens started the season very well. You know, we had like the um, one against Marseille, you know, had big games. And then it kind of didn't work out afterwards, even though recently um, Amiens drew a fantastic four four against PSG. He loves tactics, you know. He works hard um, with the players and, you know, in his office. And uh, he's a very accessible guy who I think he's. The job he does in the in the press conference, for example, I really like that. The way he talks after a match, even when Amiens were like um, had you know had to win against Toulouse, for example, you know they drew nil nil. Uh, it was the first draw of Toulouse for a long time. It was um, kind of a shame, I guess, for Amiens fans. And he had all these um, um, Amiens fans who were actually asking him to leave the club. You know, it wasn't easy for him, and he always handled the situation very well. I think with the journalists, um, always admitting, you know. Um, his mistakes, taking responsibility, showing the support for the players. Um, so yeah, I think he's a he's a good manager. You know, he can talk, he can manage. You know, difficult situations. But it's it's been quite unlucky this season.
2: Yes, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Of course, uh, we we are hoping, like everybody, that we can finish the season. We are hoping that our lives can uh, can can get back, if not to normal, at least get back up and running sometime soon. Amiens currently nineteenth. Um, what well, we've got 10, 11 games remaining. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Jeanne Lolichon and um, thank you for your, for your glittering debut and hopefully we can have you back on Le Bourgeois, um sometime soon. Uh, next week we're, we've got a very special edition, we're going to be going down under, we're going to be talking Australian fair dinkum to you. We've got um, interviews with some league and greats uh, from Australia, Mille Sturzowski of Lille, Ned who, who played under Guy Rue at Auxerre, and he's got some great Auxerre stories for us. So make sure you tune into Le Bourgeois next week. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. We do have all that extra content, the, uh, the interviews that are available for download uh, on our platform. You can get us on Deezer, Spotify, Google, Apple, Le Bourgeois, or uh, the official League um, podcast. From, uh, from everybody here, David Crossan. Andy Scott, and he's uh, got Dan Lolichon and myself, Matt Spiro. It's time to say um, goodbye. Do have a great week. And we'll see you again on Le Beaujeu
3: very soon. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 This is brilliant for Pepe.
1: That's
0: over. The has surely won it in the 89th minute. Oh, what a goal.